This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Welcome to this Ordination Sunday. It's also our launching of the newest daughter church into the diocese, Church of the Incarnation in the Fox Cities of Wisconsin. So welcome to all of you Wisconsinites. Uh, So glad that you're with us this morning. Special welcome to the Magnuson family, uh, uncles, aunts, parents. Uh, I see some of you here, and welcome to Church of the Resurrection. I remember hearing about Chad and Kirsten Magnuson months before they arrived. Amy Patton would flit about the office, as she does in her Amy way, and talk about the Magnusons, the Magnusons. Oh, you're going to love the Magnusons. And as they came and had more interviews, and I still had not met them, their reputation preceded them, and everybody is just agog over the the Magnusons, to the point where I began to be jealous, and I just thought, how amazing can these people really be? I mean, come on. And then I met them, and I said, oh, Amy, you weren't telling the half of it. These people are amazing. I love them. Kirsten, you were here maybe two months, and I I tell you the truth, she knew every person in this church. And not only did she know everyone in this church, you made everyone in this church feel like they were your best friend. And not only did you make them feel like they were your best friend, They actually were. (laughs) I don't know how you have that capacity, but you are magnetic. People are drawn to you. You're drawn to people. And the the best part about it is it's 100% genuine. 100% genuine. And Chad, meek and humble, unassuming when you first meet him until you realize he was like a three-sport varsity athlete. Uh, you are the definition of meekness. You don't take yourself too seriously, but you take the Lord very seriously. You honor him in all that you do, and you take others very seriously. And it is your desire to love God, and you trust in him. And that depth of maturity, that deep bedrock foundation, what more could you ask for in a priest, people of incarnation? Now, To know the Magnusons is to love the Magnusons, and it is fun to honor you. It's easy to honor you. At this point, I want to pause and just speak to everyone here this morning, because sometimes on ordination Sundays, people get the wrong idea, and they get their feelings hurt because they feel like, oh, this is just about Chad and Kirsten. This is about honoring them and making them feel special, and you don't feel special. And I just want to say, ordinations, yes, it's in part to honor Chad and and Kirsten and their faithfulness in the Lord. But this is actually about Jesus. This is about the work and the ministry and Jesus being faithful to his own call to us to pray that laborers would be raised up for the harvest. And he's doing that in our midst. This is also about the church and the glory of the ministry of the church going forward. This is a day for resurrection. This is a day for incarnation. This is a day for the community and the communities of the Fox Cities, whether they know it and realize what's happening to them today or not. This is about them, isn't it? It's not about you, first and foremost. And you know that. It's one of the other things that we love about you. Chad, you have zero of what the Bible calls selfish ambition. And today, I want to call you 
and Kirsten with you and Drew, Ben, and Kiri and all the founding members of Incarnation, but especially you, Chad, I want to call you to holy ambition. I want to call you to zeal. I want to call you to be hungry for the kingdom of God to come, for King Jesus to reclaim the Fox Cities through you and Incarnation and every faithful gospel church that you're going to be partnering with. I do call you to ambition. I call you to holy ambition. And to be faithful to God's call that he's going to place upon you today, Chad and Kirsten, and all of you at Incarnation, I'm going to give you three things. First, expect to see Satan fall like lightning. Second, be ambitious, Chad, to equip the saints. Third, and this one's for the church, hunger for an encounter with the living God. So those three things. All right, if you're not open to Luke chapter 10, go ahead and grab your Bible or find one under a chair near you. We're going to be working through Luke chapter 10. Now, even though it's the 10th chapter out of 24, by this point in the story, Jesus is actually most of the way through his ministry. He's turned his face towards Jerusalem for the last leg of his journey. Most of his earthly ministry has already happened. And by this point, multitudes have gathered around him. Some of those multitudes have left their homes permanently to follow him around Judea and Galilee. So, of course, we think of the 12 disciples, but there's also, out of that ring, there's another ring, the 70, or perhaps the 72, who also were following Jesus full-time. And it's in this chapter that Jesus sends out the 70. It's his desire as he's going towards Jerusalem to cover as much territory, to get to as many towns as he can, to sweep the promised land one last time before he completes his mission in his death and resurrection at Jerusalem. So he's sending the 70 out on a short-term missions trip. And he's saying to them, you've seen what I've, what I've done, now you go and do the same. And they come back and look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So expect to see Satan fall like lightning. Now, if you're wondering what does that verse mean, some have said, well, it refers to the time long, long ago in, in the ancient, uh, in the beginning of, of days when Satan fell and Jesus was there and he saw it. But most commentators, and, and I agree with this, said, no, Jesus is referring to something that is happening contemporary to that moment. Jesus is seeing something happen in the spiritual realm then. He's seeing Satan fall from heaven. Now, the word heaven is sometimes confusing. We think heaven as being the place where God lives. But in the Bible, sometimes you see the word heaven, and it merely refers to the sky or the air. And in the ancient worldview, the air 
the sky was the realm of angels and spiritual beings, both those that were loyal to God and those who were fallen and false. They lived in the air. The earth was the realm of human beings. The air, or the heavens, was the realm of spiritual beings. The Bible also tells us in 1 John 5 that the whole world is under the dominion of the devil, that under sin, he is called the prince of this world or sometimes the prince of the air. So it's likely that what is happening is as, the Jesus, as Jesus is sending out the 70 and he's back praying for them, he's having a vision where he's seeing Satan removed from power over the towns where his disciples are going. Satan being removed from power over the individuals who are receiving the ministry of the healing of the sick, the casting out of demons, and the proclamation of the good news. Jesus is either having a vision of this as it's happening, or he's simply aware in his spirit that that is what is happening in the spiritual realm at that moment. That's what, is, that's what means when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So we believe, we can assume that Satan has power over the Fox cities of Wisconsin, that there's a way in which he's reigning in the air over that region and over individuals who are enslaved to him. Expect that you will see Satan fall and be removed from power over the Fox cities and over individuals who are subject to him now. It is nothing less than Jesus' own authority that is given to you to do this. Look at verse 16. Well, look at 19 first. Behold, I have given you authority. What kind of authority? Now bump up to 16. Jesus tells them, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me, referring to his father. So whose authority? Jesus' own authority. He's giving to you to do this work. Back now to 19. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Consider those words, people of God. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. When you operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, there's nothing that the devil can do that is more powerful than the name of Jesus. It's crazy, but God's desire and his will is that the church would continue and further the very same ministry and mission that Jesus himself was doing. We believe that. It's like if I gave Simon the keys to my 1989 Chevy S10, which is a stick shift, by the way, and said, hey, you've seen me do this. Now it's your turn. He's seven years old, by the way, for those of you visiting. It seems crazy, but that's his desire. And Jesus is sending you in all of incarnation with the same instructions that he gave to the 70. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Proclaim the good news about Jesus and expect that the power of Satan will be broken and the power of God will be de demonstrated, that the weak will be made strong, the sick will be healed, the injured will be bound up, those who are straying will be brought back, and the lost shall be rescued in the name of Jesus. How will you do this, Chad? 
how will you do this, Kirsten? How will you do this incarnation? You will pray as if, verse 19, you believe it. That when Jesus says, I've given you all power over all the power of the enemy. I've given you authority over all of it. You will tread on scorpions and serpents. Pray like you believe that. And even as I preach this, I say, Lord, help me, because I know I don't always minister as if I believe that verse 19 is true. But at the end of the day and in my soul, I do believe these words. Will you choose to believe and take Jesus at his word that he is giving you authority over all the power of the enemy? When I was in prayer for you this week, God gave me two words. Uh, the first I'll share with you now. The first word was ask of me. Ask of me. That God is inviting you into a life of faith-filled prayer. He's saying, don't limit me by small prayers. I want your church to be founded on God-sized prayers. Do not grow weary in seeking miracles and the move of the power of God. Do not grow weary. Persevere in prayer with patience. This is important. I know I'm tempted also. At the first sign of delay, at the first sign of, of my own doubt or inkling to stop praying those God-sized prayers, and I think the, the answer is perseverance. It's not always going to happen right at once. He wants you to persevere in prayer and ask God-sized prayers. Ask of me, God says to you. That's his invitation. So Chad and Kirsten, lead with faith-filled prayer. Incarnation, be a people of prayer. And resurrection, I want to challenge you today and ask you this question. Do you expect to see Satan fall like lightning? In your own life, Maybe there is a person in your life who is under the power of Satan. Do you expect to see Satan to be removed from power? Do you expect it? Do you pray as if that will happen? Is there an area of your life that you know is not fully submitted to God? Do you expect to see the power of Satan removed and given over to God? I encourage you to pray and to believe this is true. There's a difference between wanting something to happen, thinking about it to happen, feeling the weight of a difficulty, there's a difference between that and actually turning and praying into that. So make that turn to pray. There's power in persevering prayer to see Satan fall like lightning. So first, expect to see Satan fall and be removed from power from over the Fox Cities. Second, be ambitious, Chad. Be ambitious to equip the saints. So here we see that Jesus sends out, what's the number? 70 or 72? This is one of those manuscript discrepancies that no one can really solve. Some manuscripts say 72, some say 70. If Origen, one of the early church fathers, was here, he would tell us, both are great. That's in the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about it, okay? Because 72 has particular symbolism to it. Um, I'm going to go with 70 for right now because with 70, we're thinking of the elders of Israel. 70 was always the number of the elders of Israel. And we also think of a story in Numbers 11 when Moses is weary because all the people are coming to him, wanting him to do everything, and God says, set apart 70 elders. 
I'm going to take some of the anointing that's upon you. I'm going to spread it around. I'm going to give it to others, raise up others into this work. Like Jesus who said, pray earnestly, but other laborers will be raised up into the harvest. So too in Numbers 11, God sends his spirit, and the 70 begin to prophesy. And Joshua, if you know the story, what happens to Joshua? He gets jealous because Moses now is not the center of attention. And Moses says to Joshua, Oh, Joshua, are you jealous on account of me? Would that all of God's people were prophets. If you're going to be set apart and have, yes, a place of honor as a leader of a church, you have to also hold more than anyone else that desire to say, would that all God's people. You're going to be, you're receiving a true anointing today, Chad. Kirsten, by virtue of you being one flesh in your union with your husband, you share in that anointing, and that anointing is real. But may it be your heart to say, would that all God's people would share in the anointing and be called to do the work of the ministry of the kingdom of God, and that actually will be your job to see that happen. You will be called now to anoint, to bless others, and to fan into flame the gifts of the Holy Spirit in them. Some may wonder, a church that believes in sacramental ordination, do you also believe in the priesthood of all believers? Let me say a word about that. Yes, absolutely. I actually believe that a church with priests is best equipped to make priests out of all believers precisely because we believe in priesthood to begin with. And so to the people of God, everything you are hearing me say to Chad and to Kirsten, it applies to you in your own sphere of influence, of authority, where God has called you to be a priest. Absolutely, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. In our epistle reading today, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says in verse 12, well, first in 11, he lists out the gifts of the leadership, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He says it right there, clear as day. If you are a saint, if you're a believer, you do the ministry. And it's the job of the leaders to come under you and support you, to equip you, to train you, to be a model, yes. But you do the work of the ministry. Do you know that, people of God? Do you know that, Chad and Kirsten? Your role is to equip and to raise up. Everyone has a ministry to build up the church. Now, oftentimes when we think about ministry, again, there's, there's a jealousy component here, isn't there? All of us have that longing to be the one up front, to have all eyes on us. That's just a thing. It's just part of human nature. And we have to acknowledge the ways that those of us who are up front and those of us who are not up front, we all contribute to that idolatry because we think that's where all the magic happens. And first of all, it's not magic, it's God. But we think this is the most important thing. This is where the honor is. This is where the visibility is. And can I just strike that lie down in the name of Jesus? Yes, Sunday morning is important. It is in Sunday morning worship that we gather and are fed by God and His Spirit, but why should we go out to do the work of the ministry? So most of the ministry of Church of the Incarnation, most of the ministry of Church of the Resurrection is supposed to happen fueled by Sunday morning, but not on Sunday morning, throughout the week. So people of God, 
Do you have idolatry around being up front and being recognized and be visible? Confess that, renounce that, and instead let me ask you, are you doing the work of ministry? Are you discipling somebody? Are you showing someone in your life how to follow Jesus like you follow Jesus? Are you doing that? That's what you're supposed to be doing. Imitating you as you imitate Christ. Chad and Kirsten, hold this in your heart and never forget. It is your job and be ambitious to equip the saints. You'll equip them by being an example to them, like we said, imitate Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. The more you grow in Christ-likeness, the more healthy your church is going to be. Not just by example, but you also equip by teaching. So in the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, the part that we read, Paul goes on to say the goal of this ministry of the building up and the equipping of the saints is to attain knowledge and to be guarded against the wind of doctrine. Doctrine means teaching, so false teaching. So have knowledge of true teaching of the Lord. Be guarded against false teaching. He's saying, your job, Chad, is to build up your church by speaking truth. That's teaching the Bible. And I want to call you today to equip the saints by the Word of God by being a man of the Word and trusting in the authority of the Word. It is good to be equipped and trained in theology, in leadership. There are so many podcasts out there about healthy spirituality. Of the making of many podcasts, there is no end, and much listening wearies the body. Amen. <laughs> there are, and they're good. They're edifying. But there is no replacement for the Word of God. And, and, and people of God, you have a ministry as well. I hope you're hearing that. Your ministry is so important that I want to say to you also, you cannot listen to all the podcasts. They're good. They're edifying. You cannot possibly listen to them all. And if it's the end of the day and you're tired and you have a chance between listening to a podcast or diving into the Word of God for yourself to hear God speak to you, you know which one you ought to pick. Your ministry depends on it. Of the making of many podcasts, there is no end, and much listening wearies the body as edifying as they are. And I want to say a word here about Canon Stephen, who has a wonderful podcast, by the way, Word and Table. You should absolutely check it out. It is terrific. But if you've had even a couple of conversations with Canon Stephen, you know that he's a really smart guy. He knows a lot of things about a lot of things. But if you've had a number of conversations with Canon Stephen, you also know what he loves to read Of all the things he's read, do you know what he loves to read more than anything else? The Bible. He loves the Bible. Let the Bible be enough for you, Chad. And other supplementary training is good, but never let it replace or or get in the way of your ministry of the Word of God. So you'll equip the saints through your example, you'll equip them for your teaching, and you'll equip them, yes, through prayer. I come back to prayer, and I don't apologize. Jesus didn't say one word about how to preach well. We have nothing from him about how to preach well. He said many words about how to pray well. You want to equip the saints? Be a man of prayer. It should be in your job description. 
It should be part of your full time. It should be part of those hours of the week to be in prayer, soaking in God's voice. The standard uh, paradigm for this is the contemplative and the active. The contemplative is that Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. The active is the Martha getting ready for, for the dinner and hosting. And both are important. But Church of Incarnation, you need your priest to have the space. You want him to have the merry time, the contemplative time. Want that for him. Encourage him in that. And yes, you want the Martha time where he is caring for your needs and helping you and, and doing the work of leadership that is also important, but there has to be a balance, and I'll tell you which one is harder to preserve. It's the merry time. Be a man of prayer, listening to God's voice, and it's in that place of prayer also the special kind of prayer that makes a priest a priest is intercession, where you stand before God and you're lifting up the people of God. And now again, to all the people of God, you want to be a priest? Do you want to exercise the priesthood of all believers? Intercede. Pray for the people in your life. The priests of the Old Testament facilitated bringing God, bringing the people to God through the sacrifices. They lifted the people up to God. Now we do that work in prayer. We lift people up to God when we pray for them. There's no more important work for a priest to do than intercession. If you want to be a priest like Jesus is a priest, what's the one way that he's exercising his priesthood right now? He's praying for us. Equip the saints by example, by teaching the Word of God, by being a man of prayer, especially that you intercede. A final word about equipping the saints. You know, when Jesus sent out the 70, did they minister in their own power or in his? In his power. When he fed the multitude with the loaves, was it their power and their bread, or was it his power? It was his power. So when God calls you to impossible tasks like feeding the multitude or seeing Satan cast down, simply give to others what Jesus has given to you. It is his power. It comes from him. There will be moments where you feel like Jesus is saying to you as he did to the disciples, you feed them. I have an impossible task for you to do. You do it. Those moments will come, and they'll come often. When he'll say, here's how I want you to equip the saints, and you'll say, Lord, that feels impossible. And he'll say, in me, it's possible. So often you'll feel outmatched by the situation in front of you, and we go back to the, the Luke passage that we heard today. How did Jesus refer to his disciples? At the end, he said, oh, Father, I rejoice that you've revealed these things to little children, and you've hid them from the wise and the important. He calls them little children. Earlier, he calls them sheep among wolves, weak and vulnerable. He sends them out with no money bag, no provisions. In that place of weakness is where his power is displayed. And so you can trust the provisions will be there. In whatever ways today you're feeling ill-equipped, inadequate, like you've got no ammunition, maybe it's like we haven't had enough time for this, or I don't have enough time for this or that, or I'm always feeling like I don't have enough time, or I don't have enough training, or I don't have enough knowledge, or I don't have enough experience. Whatever you feel the lack of, 
This was the second word that I heard for you as I was praying for you this week. The first one was, ask of me. The second one is, you will have everything you need. You will have everything you need. Now, God's going to teach you some things, Chad and Kirsten. Sometimes the lesson will be, you don't have what you need, and he's asking you to believe the will have. You don't have it yet, but you will. It's coming. I need you to wait. You all know that God waits till the 11th hour and sometimes past the 11th hour, past the point where he's already dead in the grave, and then he comes back. You will have to wait, but the lesson for you will be, I will choose to believe that we will have what we need. Sometimes, however, the lesson will be, you will have what you need, and the Lord's going to teach you what you need and what you don't need. You'll have experiences where you say, well, I guess we don't need bulletins to proclaim the gospel. I guess we don't need a clean house in order to bring our people into it and minister to them. I guess I don't need a fully planned and awesome church retreat in order for the Holy Spirit to show up. So you'll be learning, yes, to wait and trust that you will have what you need, but you'll also be taught what you actually do need to do the work so be ambitious to equip the saints. And as you find yourself in those places where you don't feel that you have what you need, you will have everything you need. My last word is now to incarnation. Be hungry for an encounter with the living God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. If you meet somebody on the street and they've never been to church, like, what, what happens at church? Like, wow, it's amazing. The God who made the heavens and the earth, he shows up and we meet with him. It's incredible. But never forget in your own hearts, that's why you're a part of this church. That's why you show up week after week. If you look again at verse 20 in Luke 10, they come back and they're excited because demons are leaving people and they have this power. And Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you, rather what? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is saying, well, having victory in spiritual battle is great. It's awesome. That's part of the plan. But Jesus is bringing them back to something even more fundamental because he's saying, look, this battle, it actually won't last forever. There will come a time where this battle will be done, but your names being written in heaven, that is forever. That one doesn't go away. Your identity is there. Your place is in heaven. Jesus gives the eternal perspective. You are made for an eternal worship encounter with the living God. You're made for the joy of heaven, and let nothing supplant that, even the importance of the work that you're about to undertake. So incarnation, I want to give to you a similar word of, of grounding, of, of ordering your priorities rightly. Those of you who are on this launch team, you may be excited about a new church. You may be excited about all the ways this church is going to do everything right that your other churches didn't get right. You may be excited about, oh, we're going to have this ministry to serve these people who really need to be served. Or we're going to do that one special kind of thing that I always felt every church ought to do. Or you're going to say, we're going to be this kind of community. But I want to call you back to never lose sight of what the church's number one reason for being is. 
It is to have a word and sacrament worship encounter with the living God week after week and to be transformed into his likeness by worshiping him. You are what you worship. So don't rejoice that you have or might have this or that ministry. When you're dreaming about all the things that your church could be, don't forget number one and the top priority is that you come every week with your brothers and sisters to worship the living God. And now that brings us back full circle. You want to see Satan fall like lightning and be removed from power over the fox cities? Worship the true and living God. The more you worship him with full heart, soul, mind, and strength, the more you will see the power of the evil one fade away. And may we see God's kingdom come. In the name of Jesus, be glorified through Chad, Kirsten, all the Magnusons, and all of incarnation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.